the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Uh, we do have Bibles at the Welcome Center, and the Scriptures will be up on the screen as well. And so uh, we are just, uh, again, excited. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. We stand in honor to the Word of God. One more chance to stretch. No more no sleeping this morning. Uh, no snoozing off. We want to make sure that we get uh, the Word. Hallelujah. Uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint the body of Jesus. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, by the way, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, the Bible says they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. I guess this morning I want to focus on the question that was asked by the ladies in verse 3. In fact, I want us to read it again. They, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Our message this morning is entitled, He Still Moves Stones. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just so thankful again for what you are doing uh, in the lives of your people. We know that this morning all across our churches and all across the world, there are individuals maybe visiting churches for the first time. Uh, there are people who are returning. Maybe they haven't been in a while and others who, who attend frequently. And we're so thankful for, for all of the people that you draw to the cross and to the church. We're thankful because you are still speaking today. We're thankful that on this Easter 2023, your Holy Spirit is present. And so, God, there is nothing you don't see and there is nothing you are not able to do. And so this morning we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would speak to us. Lord, we don't want this to be another religious service. We don't want this to be a time that we just kind of go through the motions, put a, a check in the box, and then we're not seen again until Christmas. But Lord, let, let this be a time of encounter. Let this be a time of change and transformation. Let this be a time where we encounter you directly and allow you to move the stones in our lives. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it was early, very early on that Easter morning. What little grass grew in the arid climate was moist with the morning's dew. The cool air of early spring breezed through the blossoming branches of nearby trees. The sun crept slowly over the mountains before spilling its light 
over the rolling desert hills of Palestine. The bright morning star could still be seen in the northern sky. A symbol of hope, it was a, a sign of something better, loomed in the horizon. And but for the small band of women making their way to the tomb on that morning, the tomb of Jesus, hope was actually in short supply. Their spirits had been crushed by, by the same nails that pierced the hands and the feet of Jesus. They were discouraged, disheartened. They felt defeated. And so they wanted more than anything else to, uh, what, what they wanted more than anything else was to see Jesus one last time, to honor him by anointing his dead body with spices and, and perfumes, as was the custom. It was the first century equivalent to, to laying flowers by his grace, graveside. But as they walked along that long and sad and lonely path to the tomb, it, it slowly dawned on them. Again, the Bible says in verse 3 that they asked each other the question, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Now listen, the, the two women that are named Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, had seen where the body had been placed, and so they knew that a huge stone had been rolled across the entrance of the tomb. In fact, if you read in Matthew's Gospel, we are told that the leading priests and the Pharisees, the, the religious elite of the day, they were actually worried that the disciples of Jesus were going to come back in, in the night and actually steal the body of Jesus in order to trick everybody into believing that Jesus had risen. And so what did they do? They actually requested from Pilate to, to seal the tomb prematurely, early, and they even placed guards in front of the large stone to make sure that it was totally secure so that nobody would disturb the grave and steal the body of Jesus. Now on this Sunday morning, as the women approached the graveside, they, they remembered the large stone and, and they realized once again that they weren't going to be strong enough to, to be able to move it on their own. See, the stone all by itself probably weighed several hundred pounds and it would actually have to be rolled uphill out of a rut in the ground in order to literally open the tomb. And listen, even if all three women worked together, they probably wouldn't be able to budget very much. They knew it. And so as far as they were concerned, it was an overwhelming and then an impossible obstacle for them to handle all alone. Anybody here this morning ever faced an overwhelming obstacle? Something hard? Maybe you thought it was too hard for you alone? You know, like something that stands in your way and it prevents you from achieving your goal or objective or something that looms large and is too hard for you to overcome on your own. And well, that Saturday morning, the three ladies had their, had their stone to deal with. Sunday morning, rather. And maybe today you have your own stone. In fact, you, you know its size, you know its shape, you know its circumference, and, and you definitely know what stands in your way. Listen, your stone doesn't cover the entrance of a tomb in Jerusalem, but today your path might be blocked by a stone of unemployment, by a boulder of abandonment, by a barrier of abuse, 
or a mountain of addiction, and it's in your way. We might even face the harsh obstacles of debt, divorce, drunkenness, and depression. Listen, some of you might have bills you can't pay this morning, grades you can't make, people you can't please, alcohol you can't resist, pornography you can't resist, a career you can't escape, a past you can't shake, a future you can't face. This morning, it's your stone. It's yours. You know it, and, and the reality is that by ourselves, we aren't strong enough to roll those stones away. You come at it from any angle, any angle you choose. Use whatever tools you wish, and you just can't budge it. You, you can't get over it. You can't go around it. You can't move it, not even an inch on your own. But Jesus is able. He's able to do it for us. What he did for Mary Magdalene and Mary and Salome, uh, he did it for them, and it's the same thing for you and I, the same thing that he would later do for Peter and Thomas and all of the other disciples. You, you see, their lives were forever changed because Jesus still moves stones. See, the stone represented the fears and the failures of Jesus' closest friends. And his resurrection personally and powerfully impacted their lives and the lives of those who, who encountered him and loved him. In fact, by rising from the dead, Jesus rolled away the stones that hindered their faith and obstructed their, their future. The other stone that was blocking the entrance of this, and actually there were five other stones that could apply to us this morning. I want to start with the first one, the stone of discouragement. Say discouragement. I want us to go back to Mary and the other women at Jesus' tomb. To say that these women were discouraged is a huge understatement. See, they were devastated. Like I said, they were heartbroken. They had believed in Jesus. They put their whole faith in him. All of them, they had their hopes and dreams rested in a man that they believed was God in the human flesh. The Messiah had come, but then he died. He died. They witnessed it. See, the ground beneath the old rugged cross was stained red with the blood of the Son of God, and, and they weren't the only ones feeling discouraged by all of this. All of Jesus' followers were disappointed and disillusioned. I think the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 24, spoke for everyone when they said, we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one. I mean, anytime you start talking about a hope in the past tense, you, you know you're in trouble, right? See, a soul without hope is like a body without food. You begin to lack energy and nourishment, and it's clearly visible. Everyone can see it, even when you don't. Can you identify at all with them this, this morning? Have you ever had your hopes crushed right in front of you? I mean, we all have kind, all kinds of hopes and dreams. The hope that we might meet the perfect man or woman. The hope that we might uh, get married someday. The hope that our marriage might be rekindled in some way. Some of us hope desperately to have children. Others hope that their adult children might finally turn their lives around. We hope to get out of debt. We hope to escape our stress. 
We long to be healed of some disease or disability. We hope that uh, we won't take, have to take a certain medication for the rest of our lives and so that when those dreams go unfulfilled or our hopes are, sh- our hopes, our hopes are shattered, and it's discouraging, sometimes even devastating. And yet, when Mary and the others saw their risen Savior, it changed everything. The Bible says in John 20, 20, that the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The Message Bible says the disciples seeing the, the Master with their own eyes were exuberant. It's that same verse, John 20, 20. The New Century Version says the followers were thrilled when they saw the Lord. And the Living Bible says, and how wonderful was their joy as they saw the Lord. Seeing Jesus made all the difference. In that moment, they went from hopelessness and depression to an absolutely joyful, thrilling, and overflowing exuberance. So listen, when we put our full faith in Jesus Christ, we will never experience a bankruptcy of hope. Psalm 22 and verse 5 puts it best. They trusted you and they were never disappointed. Listen, apart from Christ, life is full of disappointments discouragement but Jesus gives us hope amen see the key is to put all of our eggs in the right basket when we hang our hopes on the things of this world we're only building castles in the sand but when we put our hope but when our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ then and only then we're going to be standing on solid ground and we'll never be disappointed in Christ And so Jesus, he rolls a stone away of discouragement, but he also rolls a stone away of dread, fear. Think fear. He's rolling that stone away. Do you remember what happened to all the apostles when Jesus was arrested by the soldiers? They bailed. They, They ran away. They literally hid and abandoned Jesus in his very time of need. Anybody ever have somebody walk out on you just when you needed them? This is what happened. Of the 12 disciples handpicked by Jesus, only one even had the guts to stand with Jesus at the cross. Of course, after Jesus was crucified, they were even more terrified. And some were thinking that they might be the next ones to be crucified. In fact, the Bible says in John 20 and and verse 19 that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And so confused and fearful, the disciples stayed close together, hiding from the authorities and huddled behind locked doors. I mean, Jesus had told them to meet with him in Galilee, but they wouldn't go. They were literally paralyzed by fear and dread. Fear does that to us sometimes too, doesn't it? So afraid of what the outcome will be, so afraid of what your next step will bring, so afraid to move in any way that you are paralyzed. You see, fear closes the windows and it locks the doors. Fear is a prison of our own making and it keeps us from accomplishing what God wants us to do. And and so what are you afraid of this morning? Do you have fear of rejection that keeps you from sharing your faith maybe? Or fear of intimacy that prevents you from having any meaningful relationships? 
Maybe you have a fear of failure that, again, that handicaps every attempt to try anything new. And yet as the disciples cowered, Behind those closed doors, Jesus appeared to them. The Bible also says in John 20 and verse 19, then Jesus came and stood right in the middle of them and said, peace be with you. They had died. They had seen him crucified. He was in the tomb. Here he is. Again, when, when Jesus appeared, their, their fear was transformed into faith. And the next thing you know, these same followers of Christ that were previously gripped with dread and with fear are out in the streets, in the synagogues, boldly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What made the difference? He is risen. He rolled away their stone. Again, going from dread to faith, or maybe it was the promise Jesus gave them in Matthew 28, 19, where he actually said, and be sure of this, I am with you always. Let me hear you say always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Words are just words to us sometimes. People have said, I'll never leave you. I'll never stop loving you. I'll be here always. And today they are not. And so when we hear words like that, they move us. They touch us. They might even bring out cynicism in our lives. Because others said those same words and they weren't there. But Jesus is different. There's nobody like Jesus. Centuries earlier, we know in the Old Testament that God also said in Joshua 1.9, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I love it that the promises of God are consistent and faithful in every season of life. You can trust in the promises of God. Amen? Whatever challenges we meet, whatever challenges you or I face, we don't have to be afraid because we're never, ever alone. Cancer, Alzheimer's, car crashes, a failing economy, teenage pregnancy, crime, natural disasters, come what may, God is always by our side, right in the middle of our stuff. He never, ever fails. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. He never fails. In the words of E.A. Hoffman, what have I to dread? What, what have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. And so the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, he moves the stones of discouragement. He moves the stones of uh, the stone of dread. And he also moves the stone of doubt. Say doubt. Poor Thomas. See, Thomas had missed the first appearance of Jesus Christ, and while the others had hid behind locked doors, Thomas was off on his own. Any loners here today? You don't have to raise your hand. But that was Thomas. He, he was isolated, possibly overwhelmed, maybe even just filled with disappointment. No one really knows why Thomas wasn't there, but he sure has been chastised for it. Doubting Thomas, after all is what we've called him. The Bible says in John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25, that one of the 12 disciples named Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord, Thomas. But he replied, check it out. 
I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. I put my fingers uh, uh, into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. Thomas was a skeptic. He wouldn't believe it until he saw it for himself. Listen, Thomas has taken a lot of criticism for his doubts, but he certainly isn't the only person ever to doubt uh, the, uh, the Christian faith. Maybe this morning you might have some doubts of your own. I know I did at one time. Occasionally those doubts creep back in, don't they? But the resurrection of Jesus removes any doubt that we may have. The reality is that the tomb was empty that Sunday morning. Jesus literally, after that, Jesus literally appeared to over 500 witnesses. They saw him with their eyes. To this day, we can see miracles. The supernatural takes place. Answered prayer happens. Lives are changed because we serve a God who is not dead. He's alive. He is risen. Risen indeed. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being skeptical as long as we're willing to follow wherever the evidence leads. And Thomas, he, he reminds me of a man named Lee Strobel, who's an author. Anybody know Lee Strobel? He has written over 25 books. Uh, one of his first was The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, and all kinds of case books and other related books. But uh, we know that Lee was an investigative editor at the Chicago Tribune, and he was a confirmed atheist. That is, until his wife became a Christian. As her faith grew, he saw her going to church. He saw her reading the word. He saw the place that was taking place inside of her. And, and it's just too radical for him. In fact, it was so much so that he was actually afraid that he was going to lose her to her new faith in Christ. And so Lee, he, he determined himself to go out on a mission to investigate Jesus Christ. His goal, check it out, his goal was to first, was to prove to his wife that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, but things did not go exactly as planned. After nearly two years of investigation, checking out historical books, obviously comparing Scripture with Scripture, just checking out the whole counsel of God, Lee sat down at his desk with a legal pad one day. He drew a line down the middle of it. On one side, he wrote all of the evidence against Jesus being the Son of God. On the other side, he wrote all of the evidence for it. And overwhelmed by his own discoveries, he gave his heart to Jesus right there and then. Christ removed the stone of doubt in an atheist. In his life, God began to do a work. Lee Strobel became a Christian. Thomas basically did the same thing. Upon seeing the evidence, seeing Jesus with his own eyes, Thomas fell on his knees and exclaimed in John 20 and verse 28, my Lord and my God. And so the resurrection of Jesus, it, it, it moves the stone, it removes the stone of doubt. It also moves the stone of defeat. Say defeat. I don't like to lose. Anybody else here that way you don't like to lose? Some of you are like, yeah, whatever. Give me a trophy anyways. <laughs> but defeat can sometimes take us down. And, and you got to love Peter. He's so like so many of us. Peter was a simple man, and yet he was a passionate follower of Jesus. 
He was an all or nothing kind of guy, nothing in the middle. In fact, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he was all in. In John 13 and 37, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. But by sunrise the next morning, we know that he folded and he failed Jesus. Jesus predicted it in John 13, 38, when he said, I tell you the truth before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus was right. Peter was wrong. He failed Jesus when it counted the most, and I'm sure that Peter felt defeated. Anybody know what it's like to fail? Do you know the heartache of a failed marriage or a failed career? Do do you feel like a failure as a father or as a friend? Are these stones of defeat present in your life? See, Peter's failure hung over his head like a dark cloud. He was ready to quit on Jesus in that very moment. But just three years ago, Jesus had called him away from his career as a fisherman to become a fisher of men. Peter had literally seen life change and the miracles of Jesus for almost every single day during that three-year period. And yet, even after Jesus came back from the dead, Peter still felt like a failure, defeated by his words and his shameful actions. And so rather than head towards Galilee like he was supposed to, Peter went back and, uh, to, to what he knew best, which was fishing. And so he was ready to return to his old life and his old ways. Just give up on being a follower of Jesus. But maybe some of you remember the story. If you want to go there, John chapter 21, Peter and the others are out on the Sea of Galilee. In verse 3, they've been fishing all night with no success. Listen, I'm not a fisherman, but I tell you what, if I was fishing all night and I didn't catch one fish, I'd be a little discouraged. But what happens next changes it all. Jesus showed up. He he tells them exactly where to cast their nets. And when they did, they caught so much fish that they weren't even able to haul in their net. From nothing to abundance. Next thing you know, when Peter discovers that it was Jesus on the shore, risen from the dead and giving them expert fishing advice, he literally dives into the sea and gets to Jesus. Next thing you know, they're on the beach having breakfast with Jesus. Man, that must have been awesome. During that meal, we know that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time it seemed that Peter grew more and more frustrated. But each time he said yes. And the last words that Jesus spoke to Peter are exactly the same words that he spoke to Peter in the beginning. Peter, follow me. So Peter had a second chance. See, just because we've been defeated in the past doesn't mean we have to give up and surrender. We serve a God of of second chances. Anybody thankful for that this morning? Today, he's still able to roll away the stone of defeat. Finally, the stone of death. Say death. Rolling away that stone. Ever since the Garden of Eden, death had been the arch enemy of humanity. Death always seems to win. Listen, the odds that you will eventually die in a car crash are 1 in 125. The chance of you dying in a fire is 1 in 4 million, but the odds of you dying, period, are 1 in 1. See, death is inseparable. 
It comes to every living creature. We all have a birth date and we all have an expiration date. For thousands of years, death has stalked its prey with exacting precision. It has a 100% success rate. That is until Jesus defeated death on that first Easter. Jesus conquered death, sin, hell, and the grave in one swoop. In his resurrection, he did that. And this morning, Jesus, he offers that same thing to you, that, you that, that stone of death can be rolled away from your life. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But the truth is that Christ has been raised from, from death as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. What a promise. Verse 21, for just as death came by means of a man, Adam, right, in, the, in Genesis, in the same way, the rising from death comes from, by means of a man, Jesus, He's the, who's called the second Adam. And for just, all, for, for just as all people die because of their union with Adam, in the same way, we will be raised to life because of our union with Christ. And see, throughout, throughout Jesus' ministry, his three-year ministry, he promised one thing that nobody else could offer, life beyond the grave or salvation that leads to eternal life. And that's what Jesus came into the world to offer. In John 10, 10, Jesus boldly declared, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. More people need to hear that message. There was a time in my life when I thought it all God came to do was to punish me. I thought that all that God came to do was to judge me. I thought that all God came to do was to make sure I felt bad for all of the wrong I had ever done. It's not true. Unconditional love is what he's brought. See, while Adam's sin allowed death to claim every single human life, Christ's death challenged that claim and it nullified it through the resurrection. And so listen, Adam gave us all death and Jesus offers life to every single one of us. In other words, real life can only, say only, real life can only be found in Jesus Christ. So at conception or birth, we receive, part, we receive as part of our human inheritance the gift of death. Gloomy, huh? But at conversion or rebirth, we receive God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. In essence... Our eternal destiny is not a matter of better or worse. It's nothing less than a matter of life or death. And so the choice today is still between death and life. Worship team, come. Have you ever wondered why God rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb? I mean, I mean think about it. He's God. Do you think he was really limited by the grave, by the stone, by the tomb. I mean, in his resurrected body, Jesus could materialize through locked doors, uh, and certainly he could have left the tomb without moving the stone at all. But he didn't. The fact is, he rolled the stone away. See, see I happen to think that Jesus moved the stone for Mary, and I happen to think that he moved the stone for Peter, and for Thomas, and for all of you, and for me this morning, he moved the stone just to show us that he could. And he still moves stones today.
See, whatever challenges you face today, whatever boulders block your path, whether it's discouragement or doubt or depression or divorce or debt or drunkenness or fear or failure or even death, just know this morning that Jesus still moves stones. And Jesus stands here this morning ready to move whatever stones are in your life, in my life, if you let him. Say if. It's conditional. Doesn't matter if somebody's given you a gift if you turn away from it. It doesn't matter if salvation has been provided if you think your way is better. If you let him, He'll move your stones. He still moves stones of discouragement, dread, doubt, defeat, and death. What's your stone this morning? Let Jesus move it. Stand to your feet. Listen, these are just words that now reside in your head if that's all you let them. These are just words that you've heard. Maybe you've heard a hundred or a thousand sermons. You, you've turned the TV on and, and there's that evangelist or there's that preacher or this time of year especially, they show the Jesus movies and the passion movies and, and those are just movies and those are just words and, and those are just things that happen and, and you can let them be just that. Or you can let God this morning use any one of those things to bring you to faith, to bring you a step closer to believing, a step closer to realizing that we are nothing without Jesus, that Jesus is everything, that without him, you're actually kind of like the living dead, up and down in circles, spinning your wheels, happy one moment, miserable the next. There's life in Jesus, new life, abundant life, eternal life. And let me tell you, it's yours this morning if you want it. It's yours this morning if you want it. Pastor Freddie, I'm, I'm not religious. I'm not talking about religion. Pastor Freddie, I've heard that before. And yes, you can hear it a thousand times. Like I said, you can let it go in one ear and out the other. Or you can choose this day to do like Lee Strobel did and say, I've got to consider it. It, it, it. There must be a reality to it. And I'll even say this. What if? What if? I'm not telling you the truth this morning. What if this preacher, this young kid, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. What do you lose by saying, Jesus, if what I've heard this morning is the truth and I'm a sinner, broken, messed up, not alive, going through the motions, and, but, but if he's wrong and, and, and I say yes to you, what do I have to lose? 
But if what I'm saying this morning is true and the word of God is real and without Jesus, we go into eternity lost forever and ever and ever. I'm going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks, eternal destinations. We've got to know. It's important that we don't. We don't talk about it enough. If what we're saying this morning is real, you have to come to terms with it. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. Listen, we can go through the motions of a lot of things, raising hands, uh, doing this, sit down, stand up. Listen, at the end of the day, it's you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus. I hope you'll make a decision for him. I hope you'll say, Jesus, I'm broken, I'm messed up, and I need you. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that draws us to salvation. We thank you for times and services like this when maybe we begin to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We realize that there's something is happening on the inside that we are realizing who we really are today and how far we are from where you want us to be and, and, and all of the love and, and the grace and the peace and the mercy that you offer that maybe some of us are not taking advantage of this morning and that we have uh, just kind of settled and, and we are living life on our own and we are going through the motions and we are spinning our wheels. But God, you have given us an opportunity this morning to come to life to new life to surrender to you and watch everything become new God I want that God I need that if that's you this morning begin the journey begin the journey if that's you this morning I'd love to, to chat I'd love to connect with you anyone here obviously if we if we are walking with Jesus we'd love to encourage you in that way he still moves stones let him move the ones in your life amen let's close in worship